All right. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing well? All right. It's good to see you getting ready for a hot week for sure, as Michael shared a moment ago. Um, if I have not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Alan Pittman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the senior pastor here, as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us this morning. Got a lot of uh, church members here, a lot of guests here, folks that are in town because of celebrating uh, Barbara, who works at the BCM, 50, 45 years of ministry there uh, at the BCM, which is just incredible to think about. Uh, so we have a lot of folks here for various uh, reasons. We're glad that you're with us. If you're a guest, we'd love to have a chance to get to know you. I'm not holding a guest card. I normally am, but there's a connection card there in the seat near you. You can fill that out and drop that in the offering plate when it's passed a little bit later in the service. That way we can get information to you about the church and get to know you a little bit better and things like that. Um, I have been out the last couple of weeks, um, and I know Jacob and Howard did a great job of filling in for me, uh, and I have missed seeing y'all. Uh, we were in Guatemala uh, on a mission trip, and you'll hear more about that trip uh, coming up in August. Um, we're going to have a family celebration in August, and hopefully uh, we'll have a good bit of our Guatemala team and our Mission Arlington team and hopefully uh, a couple of our other ladies that have gone out on missions to Brazil and Mexico and Hawaii will be able to come and share uh, in August about what God has done on the mission field. And um, I decided to wear today a shirt from Guatemala I picked up while I was over there. Um, and just short answer, and that is we had a great week. Uh, the hottest temperature we had was 82 degrees. The weather was amazing, uh, and it was a great experience as we worked with the kids, the missionary kids of Guatemala, sharing the gospel with them as well as just encouraging them and to talk to the families as they came in and picked up their kids and know what great ministry that was to them and their families. Um, two weeks ago, I sat in a Spanish-only worship service on Sunday morning. I don't know how much I understood, but I enjoyed being there as they were celebrating uh, Eswin, who was getting ready to plant a church. And so the next Sunday was the first evening of that new worship, uh, that new church family. And uh, the Pittman girls were not back when we came back. They were actually in Guatemala still, so they were able to attend that first worship service. And so we're seeing God plant churches in Guatemala. We're seeing God do incredible things down there. And I want you to continue to pray for them and prayerfully consider how our church may continue to partner with all that's going on in Guatemala. So that's, uh, I told Katie I wasn't going to be able to share much. I did share a little bit, and I'm going to kind of stop right there. The rest will come up in August. All right, real quickly, uh, this is not a trick question. This is not anything at all. Just simply, real Real quickly, you don't have to raise it real high. You can raise it. How many of you would say Living Hope is my church family? How many of you call this home? All right, you can put your hands down. If you had your hand up, I need you here tonight. And so here it is. We're having a family celebration. If your hand wasn't up, you're welcome to come too. Uh, we're having a family celebration tonight at 5 o'clock. And uh, we'll gather in this room at 5 o'clock, and for 10 minutes or hopefully less, we will do a little bit of business in the fact that we're voting on three items as church members. And then when that's over with, we're entirely going to be worshiping, singing, uh, looking at Scripture a little bit, praying together. And you do not want to miss our family celebration tonight. It's happening at 5 o'clock. We'll be done around 6 or shortly thereafter. Come be a part of that. All right. 
So here's the deal. You came in when you picked up when you came in. You probably picked up a worship, uh, worship guide. On the backside, you'll notice there's no notes, and you're like, "Wait a minute, is Howard preaching?" No, he's not preaching. I'm preaching. Uh, it's just that I was out of the office for a couple of days, and so I did not get my notes turned in in time. They'll be on the screen, and you can take notes as you go along. You'll also notice on the front side it says "empowered," and the reason it says that is because today and uh, the, all the Sundays in July, and I believe there are five Sundays in July. So for the next six weeks including today, we're taking a quick break from the book of Acts, and then August, the first Sunday of August, we'll jump back in the book of Acts, we'll be in chapter, uh, Missionary Journey 3, and then it's our agenda to finish up Acts at the end of January. So that's kind of where we're going uh, from here until the end of January. But today we're starting a series called Empowered, and the reason it's called Empowered is because we're looking at how the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work of ministry and to live out our Christian lives. And in the book of Acts, we've seen over and over again the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of the disciples, the apostles, those that are coming to faith, new churches being planted, and we see that the Holy Spirit is really at work in the book of Acts. The sad thing is, all too often, and when I say we, I'm not just talking about living hope, I'm talking about Christians in general, all too often we read all that the Holy Spirit is doing in and through the book of Acts, and we act as if that's a different whole situation, and we miss out on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives today. And so as church members, we will be challenged over the next six weeks to consider how is it the Holy Spirit is active and alive in the lives of God's people and how he empowers us to live out our Christian walk. And so on the back of your worship guide, I encourage you to use that to take notes as we look at the book of Romans. Uh, I shouldn't say it that way. We're not going to look at the book of Romans. There's 16 chapters, a lot there. We'll be looking at chapter 8 in the book of Romans. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn in Romans. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So it's the book right after Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab a Bible. There should be one in a chair near you or under you, those kinds of things. If you need a Bible, feel free to take that home and that'll be our gift to you. Before we read a portion of Acts chapter 8, I wanted to start in Acts, sorry I said Acts because I've been preaching out of Acts, uh, Romans, before we look at Romans chapter 8, I want to acknowledge kind of an awkwardness that can happen when you read Romans chapter 7. When you read Romans chapter 7, it's both discouraging and encouraging all at the same time because you read about the challenges and struggles that the great apostle Paul had when it came to sin in his life. So I'm going to look at Romans chapter 7, about six verses so that when we read chapter 8, it makes a little more sense. Look with me uh, in Romans chapter 7, we'll look at verses 15 and then we'll jump to 18 through 19 and then we'll jump from there to 22 through 24. Here's what Romans 7, 15 says. Paul is writing and he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 18 and 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, Paul says, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 22 through 24. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, talking about his body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
I told you that those verses were a little bit encouraging and discouraging. It's encouraging because we're like, oh my goodness, like I'm not the only mess up when it comes to living the Christian life. Paul talks about it. And at the same time, it can be discouraging because if Paul experienced this, what is the solution? Like, are we all doomed to feel like Paul says in 24, wretched man that I am. But then the question he asks is important. Who will deliver me from this body of death and praise Jesus? We have the answer in verse 25. In 25, it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. What Paul says is everything changes when we look to Christ. When I'm not looking to Christ, I live my life however I want to. When I'm looking at Christ, I'm more likely to follow him. When I'm not looking at Christ, then the things I'm doing are the things I don't want to do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. But when I follow Christ, I'm more likely to live a life that honors Jesus. And so then he turns the page, if you will, to chapter 8. Side note real quick. Whenever the book of Romans was written, Paul did not address it and go, let's call this chapter one. Let's call this verse one. Let's call this chapter two. Like it was just a letter that he wrote to the Romans, right? And then later in history, the people said, you know what? It might be easier to reference where we are in the Bible if we have a starting point and an ending point. So let's call this chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So when I say he turns the page onto chapter eight, he really didn't turn the page. He just kept going, right? And so when we transition from what's written in chapter seven into what's written in chapter 8, we see at the end of chapter 7, there is hope in Jesus Christ. And then when we move to chapter 8, we see that the hope that's found in Jesus Christ is the Spirit of Christ that's alive and well within all followers of Jesus that guides us to be able to walk according to his will and his purpose. So that's why on the top of your sermon notes, you'll see the sermon title. No, you don't. You'll see the sermon title when I give it to you. Sorry. The sermon title is this, Walk According to the Spirit. Walk According to the Spirit. To the Spirit. So the challenge I want us to see this morning is that God is calling us to walk according to the Spirit, and when we walk according to the Spirit, we'll be empowered to do that very thing. So let's look at the, the text this morning, which is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. We're not going to be able to unpack all of these verses at all, but we're going to hit the highlights of what this section is talking about. Paul says, because of Jesus Christ, verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Like we shouldn't live a life of sin, but when we do sin, there's no condemnation for us whenever we've been put, uh, washed by the blood of Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace." For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Then he says some good things in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of, is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, the spirit, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father." The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So you saw in those verses that the word spirit was used many times, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. In fact, in chapter 8, the, the, the Spirit of God is mentioned 20 times. And so Paul is painting a picture of the answer to this dilemma that we have of walking through life, either following Jesus or not following Jesus, is found, the answer is found by walking according to the Spirit and not to the flesh. So we see that in verse 4. In verse 4, he talks about the difference between walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit. The word walk in this text means more than just simply putting one foot in front of the other and walking from point A to point B. Rather, walking here means how you live your life, how you conduct yourself, the attitude with which you do things, how you, what is kind of the frame of reference for your life, how you behave on a ordinary basis. Do you behave according to the flesh or do you behave according to the spirit? The word flesh in the Greek is sarx and the word flesh means more than just this flesh that's on my skin here. Rather the flesh here means the sinful nature and so when Paul says you either walk according to the spirit he means the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity. We worship one true God. He's experienced in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to walk in the spirit means to walk according to God God's plan with the Holy Spirit leading us. The other alternative, which is not a good one, is to walk according to the flesh, which means I'm in my worldly way of doing things, in my rebellion against God, in my fallen nature, in my sinfulness, and living out the desires of my flesh. If it feels good, do it kind of thing. I want us to now spend a few moments, and I'll give you kind of pointers where you can jot down notes and the, the points will be on the screen since they're not on your page. But let's spend just a few minutes considering how and why we should walk according to the Spirit. The baseline of it all is found in verse 9. And that baseline is the Spirit of God takes up residence in Christians. So that's the first note you can put down. The Spirit of God takes up residence in Christians. It, it says dwell, makes himself at home, lives within. However your translation may say it, verse 9 makes that statement. He says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And he says, if in fact, he means since rather, since in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, because he says anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of God Christ does not belong to him. And so the statement he makes here is that at conversion, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, sets up shop in the believer's life. You don't have to wait for a second wave of the Holy Spirit coming. Like the Holy Spirit completely indwells every follower of Jesus. Now, 
I don't know whether you didn't respond because like you already knew that or if it's ho-hum kind of thing, but we need to not lose sight of the fact that Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, lives within every one of us as a follower of him. That is something to celebrate, that's something to be encouraged by, and that is something that empowers us to live this life. In fact, Paul says that if the Holy Spirit is not in you, then you don't belong to Jesus, and so it's necessary, it's immediate. Whenever you trust in Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in and sets up shop in your life. This is the foundation of everything we're talking about today. You can't be empowered by the Spirit unless the Spirit dwells within you. You can't live a victorious Christian life unless the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell within you unless you place your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior. So don't miss how big this is. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are a Spirit-indwelt child of God. You don't function on your own anymore. The God of the universe, the sovereign Lord of all, he has chosen to set up shop in your life. You remember what one of the names of Jesus is? Depends on how you spell it. It can start with an I or it can start with an E. The word Emmanuel, right? The word Emmanuel means God with us. Why was Jesus called? Why is he called Emmanuel? Because he is God and yet he took on human flesh and he walked this planet and he revealed the Father to us and therefore he was God in the flesh. He was, is God with us. But for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we don't have the physical Jesus Christ walking around with us and teaching us. However, we have his spirit within us. That is something to celebrate. All too often, especially those of us that grew up in Baptist worlds or other places like that, we almost ignore the role of the Holy Spirit. And as I've said several times, we must move past ignoring the functionality and the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can do nothing short of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can I, like, can I, like, confess something to y'all right now? Don't worry, it's not going to get scandalous. So last week was amazing, right? I preached five or six times. I was a bit worn out. I had a blast. I got back here. I didn't work on Monday and Tuesday. My wife and the rest of the family came in on Tuesday. We bought a car this week. I absolutely hate that process. I I hate it with a passion. So anyway, sorry. It's been a crazy week, right? I was tempted to sit down and write my sermon by trying to use my brain and put things together while I'm saying that we should walk according to the Spirit. The temptation was, and, and it wasn't coming together. Like I kept hitting these like, like mental passes and I went, oh, that could be because maybe I'm not trusting in the Spirit like I should. Everything we do in life should be guided by the role of the Holy Spirit, God in us. So here's my question for you. Would you ask this question for yourself? Does the Spirit of God dwell in me? Ask that of yourself. Does the Spirit of God dwell within me? Do others see his work in my life? Am I any different because of the Holy Spirit within me? If you're like, nope, the Holy Spirit's not with me. Uh, Nope, he's not making my life different. Then we need to do some soul searching and figure out, am I a follower of Jesus? Because Paul says, with no Holy Spirit within you, you are not belonging to Jesus Christ. 
So the first thing we saw this morning is the Spirit of God takes up residence in Christians. The second thing, you can write this down as the second point, the Holy Spirit empowers us to experience the victorious life. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the victorious Christian life. I want you to stay with me because we might have different connotations of the word victorious, okay? What does it mean to live a victorious life? Here's the short answer. It does not mean a walk in the park. It does not mean free from struggles and chaos and problems. This doesn't mean free from disease or illness or death. It doesn't mean free from anxiety and depression. Our lives should not be defined by any of those things, but to say we're living a victorious Christian life does not mean it's just a walk in the park. Rather, it means that we are victorious because of who Christ is within us as he guides us through the chaos of life. All right, so that's the short answer. That's not the whole point, so let's keep looking at it together. Verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11 talk about the Holy Spirit empowering us to live a victorious Christian life. It says, if Christ is in you, verse 10 does, although the body is dead because of the sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Here's the ways that we can experience the victorious Christian life. And I'm not going to read all these verses, but I'll just tell you where I found them. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit frees us from the penalty of sin. Verse 2. Jot that down. Verse 2. The Holy Spirit comes in our lives, forgives us of our sins, frees us from the penalty of sin. The second way we have victorious Christian life is found there in verse 10. And he makes us righteous. Whenever our sins are forgiven, the righteousness of Christ is put upon us, and then he guides us to live out that righteousness in our everyday life. Verse 7 points out that he empowers us to obey God's law, that without the Holy Spirit, we can't obey Christ. But with the Holy Spirit, we can. Verse 7, he empowers us to obey God's law. And then the last thing I want to point out as it relates to experiencing the victorious life is that he empowers us to live in the Spirit instead of the flesh. And we see that in verse 11. If you want to walk according to the Spirit, you've got to have the Spirit within you. The only way we can walk according to the Spirit instead of the flesh is by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because to do it otherwise means we're walking in the flesh. If I'm trying to do it on my own, it's walking in the flesh. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the victorious Christian life. Look at verse 11 closely. He talks about the Holy Spirit is what raised, is who raised Jesus from the dead. And he says that if the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, then that same Holy Spirit resides within you, and he is giving you life to your mortal bodies. And what he's saying is this, just as the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, he raises you from the depths of your sin to bring forgiveness in your life whenever you place your faith and your trust in Jesus. And he also, since he raised Jesus from the dead, he has all power to guide you as you live your everyday life. My question is, are you living in the victory of the Holy Spirit's work within your life? Are you living in the depths of the deadness of the flesh? His resurrection power enables us to live in victory as a Christian. So here's my question for you. Does your life reflect the victory of an empty grave? Or does your life reflect an occupied tomb? When you look at your life, are you living as if you are still dead and therefore you are 
are, are missing out on all the blessings of God, or are you living a victorious, powerful life because the Holy Spirit is alive and well in your life? So, let's go to the next point that I have. Because he empowers us to experience a victorious life, the next point is this. Don't live as though you're obligated to sin. Because you're victorious in Jesus Christ, don't do the opposite. And that is don't live as though you're obligated to sin. Depending on your translation, it may have the word debtors. That's what the ESV has. It could have the word obligated. Obligation is found in verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. We are not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The word obligated, the word debtor here. The truth is, sadly, some of us in this room are living as if it's a foregone conclusion that we will sin and we will sin constantly. Don't get me wrong, a follower of Jesus still does sin, but a follower of Jesus should not be living in a pattern or a life or repetition of sin. And yet too many of us are thinking it's a foregone conclusion and we act as if, verse 12, that we are debtors or obligated to sin. Instead of living in victory, we're living in defeat. We're living as if we're obligated to sin. And Paul here says that instead of being obligated to sin and obligated to death, we are actually obligated to something different, and that is we are obligated to walk according to the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have the privilege of the Holy Spirit living within you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the responsibility or the obligation to live out the commands of Jesus Christ. But remember, we have that power not because of ourselves, because of the Holy Spirit to walk according to the Spirit. And the Holy, like I said, in the ESV, the word here is debtor. And the word debtor reminds us that all of us are indebted to something. All of us are bound by duty. And Paul says that we are bound by duty either to live according to the flesh or we are bound by duty to live according to the Spirit. And he says that the Spirit dwells within you. You are not obligated to sin. Rather, you are obligated to live according to the Spirit. But all too often, we're acting as if we are obligated to sin. So to stop living as a debtor to sin, he says in verse 13 that we must put to death the deeds of the body. Look at it in verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you're living according to the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. He tells us to put the, to death the deeds of the body. The need to put to death the evil that's in our life is an ongoing one. It's not a once and done because sin continues to tempt us on a daily basis. And so whenever he says put to death the, the deeds of the, of the mortal body, he's not saying on a, a once and done. He's like ongoing basis. But again, is it us that's able to put to death the evils that's in our life? Absolutely not. It's the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We must live our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. The only way to crucify the old self is by, by, um, by the Spirit. Unless you walk in obligation to the Holy Spirit, your sinful nature will continue to lead you astray and you'll walk according to the flesh. So the question that I have on this statement is this. Does the way you live your life indicate that you're obligated to the flesh 
Or does the way you live your life indicate that you're obligated to the Spirit? So how do we break free? How do we break free from acting as if we're obligated to sin? How do we break free from walking in the flesh? We trust in the Holy Spirit, yes. And in order to do that, according to verse 6, it says that we need to set our mind on things of the Spirit. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. Look at verse 6. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. He tells us to set our minds on the Spirit. What does he mean by that? Setting your mind on something means has to do with your disposition or your inner orientation. It's what you think about. It's what's on your mind. It's what's on your thoughts and what's on your purposes. When you lay in bed at night, do you dread and worry and think about this and try to find the solutions? Or is your mind set on things of God? How to set your mind, how you set your mind helps determine where your obligations lead you. If your mind is set on things of God, then you're obligation will lead you to live for Jesus. Now, I want to be careful here. What I'm not encouraging here is the power of positive thinking. Like, just think positively and things will go well. I'm also not talking about self-control and I do it on my own. Rather, what I'm saying is I'm setting my things on uh, my mind on things of God, and therefore, I'm able to hear the Holy Spirit as he leads me and guides my life. It's where our focus and our intent is. What we think about indicates where our values are. What we think about ends up influencing how we live our lives, either for the good or the bad. You think, I really like the Dallas Cowboys, right? Because I talk about them a decent amount. But I'll tell you this, I know it's hard to believe, but I talk about them a lot less than I did several years ago. And you're going, ah, finally you woke up, they're a horrible team. and you Well, maybe so. But what I've realized is this, as enjoyable as something like football is, It's nothing in comparison to who Jesus Christ is. And so my question is, what do you have your minds set on? The choices are not, I mean, this would be a choice, pornography or the Spirit of God. You're like, I'm not thinking about pornography, I'm thinking about the Spirit of God. The choices could be, I'm thinking about football or God. I'm thinking about my family or God. I'm thinking about that promotion or God. Now, I'm not saying that my family is a bad thing. I'm not saying that a promotion necessarily is a bad thing. I'm saying, where is my focus? Is my focus on the thing or is my focus on the Holy Spirit? Where we set our mind matters. And so the question I have for you in this, in this point is this, what kind of mindset do you have? Is your mindset one on the flesh, or is your mindset on the Spirit? Throughout the day, what do you find yourself focused on? Things of God or on other things? So, to kind of begin to land this ship, let's look at verse 15, and we'll see the final point, and that is live in the reality that you've been adopted by God. Verse 15, live in the reality that you've been adopted by God. Here's what Paul says in 15. Uh, Helps if I look at the right verse. (laughs) For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I want us to stop and think for just a minute about the significance of being adopted by God. 
In the first century, the primary reason why a man would adopt a son was so that his name would be advanced and continued, and also so that there'd be an heir for whenever he died and his estate would go to somebody. He didn't want it to go to somebody else. He didn't want it to go to to, uh, another family member. He wanted it to go to a son. And so he would adopt sometimes in order that he would have someone to carry on his name and an heir for his estate. Uh, This morning, I didn't know if I was going to share this or not because sometimes my kids don't like it when I talk about them and stuff. And so um, some of my kids are not here today, so I'll say it. Um, you, um, you may be aware that we adopted a child in our family. And I remember distinctly, whenever we were at the adoption, it was not a Christian, it might have been a Christian man, but it wasn't a Christian courthouse, it was just the courthouse. And yet it sounded so biblical when we sat there. And what I mean by that is lots of questions were asked. Our son was sitting uh, in the judge's seat, and he was asking him, do you want to be a part of this family? Thankfully, he was young enough. He was not a teenager yet, and so he answered yes. (laughs) And he looked at Ashley, and I asked a series, series, they were serious, but series of questions. The last thing that I remember the judge saying, as he looked at me, he said, Mr. Pittman, you do realize that if I, if I, uh, whatever he said, confirm this, I forget what the judge says, but if I make this official and he becomes your son, then he has your name and he is legally, um, he is legally, let me, I wrote it down, sorry. He, he has a legal right, he has every legal right to all of your possessions. Isn't that what it means to be adopted into the family of God? We receive the name of Jesus. We are grafted into the family. And we become heirs to all that God has. That is amazing. And yet in our lives, all too often, instead of living in the truth that we have been adopted as sons and daughters... Instead of living in the spirit of that, we go back to the spirit of slavery and fear and sin and brokenness. We are called to live a life that is reflective of the truth that we have been adopted by the Almighty God. You see, the flesh brings sin, death, condemnation, hostility to God, slavery into fear. But why would we want to live like that when the Holy Spirit brings us things like life and peace and righteousness and obedience and inheritance? Why not live in that reality? You see, we've been adopted as sons. There's a family connection. Did you see that it says that because of the Spirit of God, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Do you know who called the Father Abba first? Jesus Christ. The Jewish tradition did not have a habit of referring to the Holy One as Abba. But when Jesus prayed, he called his Father Abba. It's a term of affection. It's a term of respect. It's not my homeboy, but it is still a family connection. 
And Jesus, because he's adopted us into his family, the Holy Spirit gives us the right to be able to call out to our Father, Abba, Father. My question for you is, what spirit are you living in? Are you living in the spirit of slavery that leads to fear? Or are you living in the spirit of adoption as a son or daughter of the king? So I've talked a lot about how as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit within us. I've talked a lot about how he comes in to live within us at the point of conversion. I've talked about being adopted in the family. And so you may be asking the question, I haven't experienced this adoption. What's all of this about? Let's go back to verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4 paint a picture of it. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So he talks about the law of sin and death and the law of life that comes from Jesus. And then verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And what he did was he sent his own son Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh and uh, sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. These verses and so many other verses in scripture point to the simple truth that the fact is that all of us all of us who have ever been born, all of us who ever will be born, we are all under the law of sin and death. You see, God has an expectation, and that expectation is perfection. He has a law that's spelled out, and we are to obey it 100%. But all of us are sinners. All of us are broken by sin. All of us are in rebellion against God. All of us are doing life our own way, and we are not living up to those expectations. So over here, there's the spirit of the law of life in Jesus. Over here is the spirit of the law of sin and death. And it says because of this, he sent his son to take on flesh, meaning that Jesus came, put on flesh, the son of God, fully God, fully man, was tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. He lived a life that we could not live. He died a death that we deserve because of sin. He took our sins on his shoulders. He willingly went to the cross and laid out his life and died for our sins. Because it says the wages of sin is death and Jesus died for our sins. But it didn't end there because that's a pretty yucky ending. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead, meaning he overcame sin, he overcame death, he overcame slavery, he overcame all of those things in order of slavery to sin, in order that we might have redemption and reconciliation and right standing with God again. The only way the Holy Spirit comes to live within us is if we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. You see, everybody in this room that I've talked about, we've been adopted in the family, that, that we have the Spirit of God within us. Not everybody in this room, not everybody watching has truly experienced that. If you have not had a time in your life where you came to God in repentance and faith in what Jesus Christ has done on, our, on your behalf, you have not experienced salvation. So my question is this, would you place your faith and your trust in Jesus? Would today be the day that you'd become his adopted son or daughter? If you'd like to know more about that in just a moment, we'll be singing and I'll be up front. I would love to sit and visit with you or after the service is over with and we dismiss, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to place your faith and your trust in Jesus. But for those of us that have already done that, those of us that are followers of Jesus, we have a choice. 
We can continue to walk in the flesh or we can walk in the Spirit. Too many of us are going through life totally ignoring the Holy Spirit. Some of us are unaware of the Holy Spirit. We really haven't really heard much about Him. We don't understand Him. Others of us are uninformed about Him. We've heard wrong things. Others of us are scared of Him. You're like, I'm not scared of the Holy Spirit. Want to bet? Some of us are scared of the Holy Spirit because we've seen what they do in those crazy churches. I don't want to be a part of that. Well, maybe you haven't been a part of one of those, and I'm not being disrespectful. I'm, I'm using someone else's thought process. Maybe you haven't been in those crazy churches. Maybe you've been over in these cold as stone and ice churches. The reality is this. The Holy Spirit lives within us. The reality is because he lives within us, we should be living according to the Spirit and not the flesh. The reality is when we wake up in the morning, it's not my life to live. It's the Holy Spirit guiding my life. And am I going to submit myself to him? In my life, I don't have to give in to sin day in, day out, over and over and over again. Rather, I should be living a sanctified life because the Holy Spirit is at work within me. Are you living in the reality of the Holy Spirit being in your life? We need to be living on a daily basis in the truth, if you're a follower of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is within you. Perhaps something you need to do is begin to create some space in your everyday life for the Spirit to work. There's lots of ways where you can experience the work of the Holy Spirit and how you can create some space. You might need to pray more than you are. You might need to study Scripture more. You may need to talk to the Holy Spirit about your life. You may need to listen for His guidance. You need to ask Him to reveal sin that's in your life. You need to think about Him. You need to thank Him for His adoption. You need to live your life consciously aware of His presence in your life. We must live in the reality of the Spirit if we want to be living by and led by the Spirit. It's time for us to stop living in defeat, and it's time for us to begin to live in victory. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, so let's go out and live in that truth. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and after the prayer, we're going to sing a couple of songs. The first song, I'll be available to receive you here if you'd like to come and pray with me. The altar is open for you to come and pray at. The second one, you can still do that, but during the second one, we will pass the offering plates, and that's where you can drop your connection card and, uh, and giving envelope and things like that. But let's not hurry out these doors. The Holy Spirit is here with us. He's leading our lives. The question is, are we going to walk this morning in the flesh, or are we going to walk according to the Spirit? Let me lead us in prayer. Father, you are good, good, good to us. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are powerful. You are magnificent. You are worthy of all of our worship. You are greater than any word can describe. You're more powerful than all of the scary things in this world. Father, you are more powerful than all of the chaos in the world. Father, you are greater than anything or anyone else. And so, Father, this morning we cry out to you, Abba, Father. We cry out to you saying, have your way within our lives. Father, we call for the Holy Spirit to be alive and well and active in our lives. And we know that he is if we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. But help us to live a life aware of his presence. May we not go through moments of our life where we have no direction or think that we're obligated to sin, but rather may we live our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit alive and well within us. Father, the Holy Spirit gave the power for the resurrection to take place, and we know the Holy Spirit is, is more powerful and capable to lead us in our lives than we ever give Him credit for. So Father, I pray in this moment 
that we would not have some kind of emotional experience, that we would not have some kind of intellectual experience, but rather we would have a real tangible encounter with the Holy Spirit who leads and guides and fashions and forms and transforms us and makes us and molds us into your image. Because that's who we want to be. We worship you this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us if you're able to do so? As we continue our time of worship by singing, you can respond by praying at the altar, praying with me, praying at your seat, filling out your connection card, however the Lord may lead you. Let's worship.